Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers 4DC. Our next podcast is taken from our 2015 Global PR Summit, which took place in Miami Beach a few weeks ago. You're about to listen to Freedom to Marry National Campaign Director Mark Solomon in conversation with Conan Wolf America's CEO Jim Joseph on how the marriage equality campaign won. The session is introduced by Homes Report founder Paul Holmes. Thank you and enjoy. We are very fortunate to have with us this afternoon one of the architects of the communications campaign that led to the freedom to marry in this country. I'm not going to waste any more time on introductions because I want to hear as much about this as possible. So I'll invite to the stage Jim Joseph from Conan Wolf and Mark Solomon. Thank you. Good afternoon. It is my personal and professional honor to bring to you Mark Solomon, who as the National Campaign Director for Freedom to Marry, literally drove what has become, perhaps, the most successful social movement in this country in our lifetimes. And he's chronicled that 13-year journey in a book that is our gift to you. He'll be signing them later this afternoon. But we're going to have him talk to us about how he orchestrated that campaign, how he thought about it as a brand and as a marketing campaign, just like we think about many of our brands as well. And this one simple visual on this slide actually captures that movement. And I have to say, Mark, that for our brands, we all could only hope to be driving that kind of a reversal in positive sentiment and in results. So I would love to start out the discussion and have you tell us a little bit about some of the key pivot points during that campaign. Sure. Um, Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, It's great speaking to all of you. And, you know, we were a... And, and you know, have been a social movement, and our job was to ultimately get the U.S. Supreme Court to rule our way. Um, but we had a plan for doing that, and that was having a critical mass of states and a critical mass of public support. But I think it's so easy to take that and just turn it into, um, you know, language that that, that you all use uh, a lot. Um, we had to gain market share. We had to grow our supporters nationwide. We had to segment the markets. Um, we had to figure out you know, how we could win states and grow states. And that was ultimately what this, uh, you know, ultimately what this campaign has been about has been about selling, um, it's a little crass to say, but selling gay people to America, selling same-sex couples to America and our families. Um, And even, you know, an even harder bar, it wasn't simply asking for people to accept gay people, it was asking them to allow us into you know, what's really regarded as the most important social institution in the, in the country, um, marriage. So that's uh, what we needed to do, and that's what we set out to do. Amazing, amazing. And as I was reading your book, I, I have to say I was laughing, chuckling. I was cursing. I was cheering. I was on a plane to L.A., and I was crying. Everybody was looking at me like I was crazy. I mean, it was truly a roller coaster. I, I can't even imagine having... having lived it and and drove it. Uh, But I remember in particular a lot of the negative comments about gay families and gay people, particularly in Massachusetts and and as you move through the states. And and I read a lot about how you needed to humanize the movement. And you really used storytelling 
to change perceptions. Can you tell us a little bit about how that worked and how you arrived at that conclusion? Sure. Um, yeah, so as, as uh, you said, Jim, we, uh, in Massachusetts, I, w I was there when we, uh, when we won in court, and, and as soon as we won, some of the most powerful forces in the world uh, literally came out and said they were going to take it away from us, from the hierarchy of the Catholic Church to um, you know, the National Republican Party and President George W. Bush, as well as then-governor of Massachusetts, Mitt Romney. And we also didn't have many Democrats with us. <laughs> so it was I mean, very few. So we were really isolated. And um, as we looked at, you know, we did some of the work that you all do. We, we did focus groups to understand how people thought of, uh, of, um, of gay folks. And back then, you know, the, the results were really uh, challenging to us. Uh, People thought, you know, when they when we asked like ordinary Americans, how do you think about um, gay people? It was they're loners. They live out there. They live in San Francisco and New York. They don't live here. They aren't part of my community. Um, they thought of pride parades and sort of the most outrageous displays from pride parades. Those were the images that stuck in their in their minds. And here, and we were trying to make the case that, you know that we should be able to enter into this crucially important social institution of marriage. So really what we um, set out to do was to, uh, I mean, obviously we had to make our case and do it quickly in the, in the you know, in the, um, in the heat of, uh, the heat of battle with a lot of opposition. So what we, um, you know, what we knew we had to do is we had to um, connect to people and we had to explain to them who we were and why we wanted to marry. That was really at the heart of our of our work was explaining that we wanted to marry for the same reasons as, as you do, out of a deep sense of love and commitment. And we had to show it. You couldn't simply say it. You had to show it and explain it and, and connect to the heart. This couldn't, you know, we knew our opponents were going to be trying to scare people um, about what this would be all about. And, you know, the, and, and many people actually really believe this was going to be the beginning of the end of days. I mean, no, no joke. And, um, and to the point where, you know, when the first day of marriages in Massachusetts, there were, in Boston, there were sharpshooters on the roofs throughout the, uh, throughout the city of Boston because we were concerned, people, the police were concerned that someone was going to take things into their own hands. Um, we knew we had to speak locally. We had to get people out of this notion that it's those people out there and understand, no, it's not those people out there. It's people in your community, in your hometown. Um, it's people who you grew up with, people who you... Uh, um, went to high school with, who your parents, uh, you know, your parents' uh, best friend's kid, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we needed to, um, we also needed to recognize that as we did this work, it wasn't going to be a change of mind and a snap of the fingers. We were asking people to reconsider something that had been ingrained since uh, day one. I mean, we all learned the first day on this planet, uh, most of us, that uh, marriage is between at least, you know, I now speak to uh, schools and people are learning differently, but marriage is between uh, a man and a woman. And, um, you know, those are the stories we're read when we're kids. That's, it's so imbued in every aspect of our culture. Um, and we also are, um, you know, are, so many of us grew up in a faith tradition where we're taught that there's something wrong with homosexuality. So, um, so really we had to um, walk people along. We had to help people uh, move, help people evolve. Um, and that's what we um, what we tried to do, and and so we created content. Actually, like we create content, that's what we do as as practitioners. You created content as well, and you put it out there and let it speak on behalf of the community. Correct? 
Yeah, there were, I'd say there were two things that we did um, a lot of. One is at the heart was personal stories, sharing our stories, same-sex couples talking about why marriage is important to them. We also wanted to show, um, we wanted to model how people change their minds. And we found that couples weren't the best, but parents were actually the best because straight people could identify with parents, with grandparents, and see, you know, people go from a discomfort to acceptance to recognition that, of course, my committed, amazing daughter or son or granddaughter should be able to get married. Let's, let's take a look at a couple of those videos. We have four generations of our family sitting around this table. Daddy and I have been together for 59 years now. I flew in uh, the last battle of World War II. I couldn't see how anyone who had been in combat could ever be cruel to anyone ever again. It takes a great deal of bravery to be a lesbian. I'm so proud of Katie and Alex. We're pretty proud of you. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Marriage is too precious a thing not to share. I would, in my lifetime, really like to be able to see Katie and Alex get married legally. This isn't about politics. It's about family and how we as people treat one another. Amazing, amazing. We have actually one more we want to show you as well, just to give you a flavor of the campaign. My husband and I have been married 32 years. 42. <laughs> 40. We weren't always uh, so gay friendly. We didn't even grow up in an era where it was discussed. We had just found out our daughter was gay. There was a lot of emotions. We went to see a priest, and I will never forget the answer that he told me. She is the same person that you loved yesterday. We love our daughter. I would be very happy if my oldest daughter could get married at home. She is the same person she was yesterday. Really, really powerful. Crass as it sounds, selling gay people and selling, selling acceptance. Uh, on the roller coaster ride that you chronicle in your book and as you went through the 13 years from state to state, there were many points along the way that sounded like you were ready to throw in the towel. It was insurmountable. You were never going to really be able to make it happen. Uh, but you used data, polling and big data, and a lot of the stuff that we um, talk about in terms of very targeted insights to turn around that sentiment. Can you talk a little bit about how that worked? Sure. I mean, we were all about um, finding potential supporters, people who we could make the case to. And uh, we didn't want to spend a lot of time, you know, in the macro sense, we didn't want to spend a lot of time talking to people who were never going to be our friends or they could be our friends, who were never going to vote with us, um, especially in ballot campaigns. And we had, we knew that one of the key things we felt like we had to do was to reverse our losing record at the ballot. We had lost um, 30 ballot initiatives in a row that our opponents put on the ballot in some very conservative states, um, in many of the states. And finally, in 2012, we really focused in on winning at the ballot. We were on the ballot in Maine, Minnesota, uh, Maryland, and Washington State. And we used um, both the best sort of best practices from the right and from the left of uh, some of the, we used the micro-targeting firm that, uh, that Mitt Romney was using, and we brought in some of the um, targeting that, that the unions were using to really slice and dice um, who the voters were that we were talking to, so that um, you know we 
we actually ended up, for example, in Maine, having personal conversations either on the phone or at the door with more than half of the people who we identified as undecided and persuadable on marriage. So we were um, that micro-targeted. We, you know, because we had a very strong field campaign, you can be extraordinarily micro-targeted in a field campaign, which message to use, which is going to be most effective. Same with direct mail. So you know, really trying to hit people with messages and approaches that we thought could work with them. Very cool. The, the then mayor of Los Angeles, I believe, gave you a very compelling call to action, which took the fight to an even higher level, and that was he told you to fight for love and that that was the, the end game, which I just thought was a fascinating branding way to think about the, the campaign. And it appears that you also used very classic influencer marketing techniques, messaging strategies, media strategies that you kind of formulated along the way. Can you talk a little bit about the, the influencers you went for and how you use them to kind of convert their networks, if you will? Sure. It was always a, a challenge as a, as a movement because you have a base of people and they want to see, they're like, we want gay couples, gay couples, gay couples in our ads, and you know they should be front and center and everything. And we knew that the people we were talking to were generally middle Americans, and um, we needed to make our case, but we also needed to find spokespeople who could speak to different segments of the population. We did a huge amount of work with Republicans. Um, you know, we sort of trotted uh, around uh, the vice president, uh, then vice president Dick Cheney, when he came out of in support of uh, marriage, in support of his daughter, and used the line I've probably used it ten thousand times: "Freedom means freedom for everyone." To really tap into the sort of American notion um, that Republicans um, hold on to, or you know, a claim of uh, of freedom. Um, you know, we used uh, when Laura Bush came out in support of marriage equality and, and uh, Colin Powell and on and on. Military folks, when, you know, once Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed and gay people were allowed to serve in the military, they became some of our most powerful uh, spokespeople. I fought for my country. I put my life on the line. Then I come back home and my country doesn't allow me to marry the person I love. So, um, you know, clergy, we had, uh, uh, and especially mainstream uh, Christian denominations, people... Uh, vouching for their same-sex congregants and the integrity of their relationships. So we were always about finding spokespeople where, you know, regular folks would be like, my gosh, I never thought X would stand up and support. That's great. And you also produced more content around that, that notion as well that we'd like to show. If we can run the next video. I've been a firefighter for 16 years and combined the four of us here have over 30 years of experience. These guys are all straight, so when I joined the department, I wondered how a brotherhood so tight like that would be accepting of someone who's gay. The brotherhood that we have is not the straight fireman's brotherhood, it's the fireman's brotherhood. If a guy works hard and does his job, I'm not going to judge him, and we're not going to judge him either. When we clear the call, I get to go home to my wife. The guys I work with should be able to marry the person they love. We're voting yes on one. We're not a brotherhood of straight firefighters. We're a brotherhood of firefighters. Uh, one other piece of content, too, we wanted to show you. I joined the military because I love this country, and I went to Iraq. I was in an incident. I nearly died. I remember laying there, looking down and seeing my legs mangled. I thought about my family. Corporal Andrew Wilford. He gave his life in Afghanistan protecting our freedoms. He was gay. I cannot look at this picture and say, Corporal, you were good enough to fight for your country and give your life, but you were not good enough to marry the person you love. I'm pleading with you to vote no. 
we wanted to open it up to questions from you all, if you have any for, for Mark. Yeah, right. We got a mic coming, I think. Yep, right here. Oh, hey, Mark. My name's Walter Jennings, um, and um, I had to go to Canada with my husband. Um, we managed to sneak it in three weeks before our adopted son was born, oh, so wow. my mother was wow. very relieved. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, she's a traditionalist. Um, <laughs> sadly, uh, the changes didn't come in time, so we um, live overseas. And I, I guess I, I just wanted to encourage anyone here in the company, a great thing that I did, I was at the time the senior most openly gay professional in Ford Motor Company worldwide. Um, and just making it normal and telling the story, um, you know, worked really well in terms of decreasing biases. Now, I am unsure whether I'm the um, senior most openly gay Good. professional at Huawei worldwide. However, we'll find that out, I'm sure, after the next tweet. <laughs> so I just wanted to um, thank you um, and um, tell you at a personal level how much it means. So thank awesome. you very much. You may have just broken the internet. With that <laughs> right here. Hi, uh, Chris Alieri with Edelman. Um, I had a, a question around, um, if you looked at 2008, right, with Proposition 8, you know, the incredible excitement around President Obama winning his first term and then um, Proposition 8 passing by a narrow majority, but many of the same people who voted for Obama and supported him voted for that. And then I went to college in Colorado, so in 1992, um, there was Amendment 2, and there was, you know, so if you look at relatively recent history, so basically 2008, 2015, that is such a quick period of time. So I think it is your content, you know, in the, the, those four battleground states in the beginning, Maryland and Maine and others. Um, what else was it, right? And, and what lessons would, would this carry for other movements where there was no other side, there was no opposition in this case. Like, the, there was no credible opposition. There was nobody, really, that you could even fight against, because it was the, the move, and the, it was moving so quickly, right? And yet, it, the people against the marriage argument were just nuts. So, <laughs> with that, like, what happens when you're we're working on something like this, where you're actually trying to educate people, and the other side may have a valid argument? Well, I, th I think it's, you know, I guess, you know, your point sort of proves how far we've actually come because five years ago, I think very few people would say that there's no valid argument for the other side or that the other side is just nuts. But, you know, we were fighting against the, you know, the Catholic hierarchy and they were putting millions and millions of dollars into campaign, you know, into the campaigns against us. Um, you know, Proposition 8, which was the ballot initiative in California that took away the freedom to marry, um, you know, about 70 more than 70% of the money came from uh, Mormon church-inspired donors. So um, there were, you know, we were fighting against some of the most powerful forces in the uh, in the world, and there, you know, and plenty of adherence to the uh, to the to the faith. I do spend a lot of time uh, now going around and speaking to other social movements. In fact, I was just came here from a retreat of the Brady campaign on gun violence prevention. And there are, you know, I have sort of a top 10 uh, list of lessons at the very back of my book. So even if you don't want to read the whole thing, you can just read the last. The, uh, um, but I think, um, you know, appealing to people's values um, is, is 
crucial, getting them in the, in the heart and in the gut. Because on all of these, on, on marriage and on other uh, similar social issues, our opponents are going to use fear. Um, you see it playing out in the presidential race with, uh, you know, not to get political, but, you know, with Donald Trump and this building this wall, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, that's, a, that's an appeal to people's sort of fear. And, you know, for, for on, on, on marriage and, and other issues to win, you have to appeal to people's um, better selves. But you have to, they have to get there themselves. They have to recognize that in order to be the person that they want to be, they need to take this position. But you can't say, look, in order to be a good human being, you have to take this position. They have to get there. And we have to help guide them there. Right. We, uh, we unfortunately have to wrap it up. But Mark is going to do a book signing this afternoon. So if you have other questions, um, you can ask him one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, one final question, just because we are all brand um, communication folks here. Uh, what role did a lot of the brand activity play in all this, from brands like Absolute and Tra Travelocity and the Honey Made campaign and the Swiffer campaign that featured mm -hmm. all different kinds of families, including same-sex couples with, with children. Did that help? Absolutely. It's, it's like a big um, sort of cycle in that, you know, there's more public acceptance. There are more states where gay people can marry. Uh, brands, you know, and companies recognize that it's not, you know, that perhaps it's more of an opportunity than it is a, it is a threat. Um, and companies want to be first uh, to, to do it. And so you have some of the um, leaders and they, you know, they'll put something online that people will, um, you know, push around. And then, then others will see, my God, they didn't get in trouble for doing this. You know, let's uh, let's right. be bolder ourselves. So it, it certainly helps, and it certainly is part of the part of the mix. Um, I, I could, I'd also say that um, you know, in this last go around before we got to the Supreme Court, we there was an, a, a friend of the court brief, an amicus brief that um, um, that had uh, 370 companies, including 40 of the Fortune 100 companies, on board in support of marriage equality. Having the company's names on board like that um, was, was, was very helpful. That's, that's amazing. Well, again, as someone whose family has personally benefited from your incredible work, I want to say uh, thank you. And on behalf of everybody here, thank you for, for your work and for being here. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Marketeers for DC for producing today's show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. 